$220 billion from Asian dollars are going into the travel industry. I mean, same with the Black travel movement. I mean, there's just so much money to be had with POC dollars. Why are we not getting paid? Why are we not being represented? Why aren't we getting paid for our voices and our representation? It needs to change. This is Debbie and welcome to another episode of The Offbeat Life, where I speak to inspiring individuals who ditched the norm to become location independent. We'll learn how to create sustainable laptop lifestyles from the experts that will help us achieve freedom from our nine to five. As a digital nomad, I'm constantly traveling and have to minimize what I pack. But the one thing that I can't live home without is my Western Digital G-Technology branded Armor ATD drive, a portable hard drive that stores all of my photos and audio recording crucial to my business. What makes the Armor ATD drive so special is that it can withstand dust, sand, rain, and up to a thousand pounds of pressure. And as a traveler, I never know what's going to come my way. So having an Armor ATD as my go-to hard drive gives me the durability and peace of mind that I need in order to create and deliver the best content to my clients. Want to get your own G-Technology Armor ATD rugged drive? Visit g-technology.com, Amazon, Best Buy, B&H Photo, Adorama, and other select retailers. I'm really excited to share with you this week's episode with Dr. Kiona, who is the creator of the digital publication, How Not to Travel Like a Basic Bee. Yes, the name is raunchy, but it's what shot Kiona up to one of the most trusted travel experts in the game with features in Washington Post, Huffington Post, Refinery29, and many others. This platform is unique in that it uplifts marginalized voices to tell their own stories with travel and travelers to their countries and redefines the narrative. In addition, with Kiono's background in education, she brings education to social media to make it accessible and affordable for everyone. So listen on to find out more about Dr. Kiona and how she aims to give a voice to minorities in the travel industry. Hey everyone, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm here with Kiona, who is the founder of How Not to Travel Like a Basic Bitch. Hey, how are you? Hey, Debbie. So good to be here. Thank you for asking me. I am so happy for you to be here because you are such an interesting woman and character because you are posting so many things that a lot of people are doing and talking about. So before we get to your incredible tips and tricks for us, can you tell us a little bit more about you and why you live an offbeat life? Yeah. So my name's Kiona and I try to refer to myself as Dr. Kiona because I also have a PhD and representation with women and women of color as doctors is important. However, I didn't go the traditional route of going into academia, becoming a professor. Instead, I have sort of turned towards my Instagram and teach and educate that way. I also think you can't learn everything from books and travel has taught me so many things from so many perspectives all around the world that I started this website that features um, people that I've met either online or in real life, and it turns the mic over to local voices, marginalized voices, voices that you don't hear about very often in the travel world, and I educate that way now. And it's a really interesting thing that you've done. It's a very amazing niche because most of the time what you see in social media are 
like you're saying, it's very basic. <laughs> it's a lot of mostly white blonde women in the travel industry who are really successful yeah. and you don't mm -hmm. see a lot of minorities who are in it. How did you get the idea of actually creating the basic bitch brand? So I was drunk <laughs> and um, <laughs> I was so drunk, not totally drunk, but I was a little bit drunk um, when I made the IG name and bought the domain. I was like drinking wine with my best friend and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so tired of these basic bitches. Like <laughs> I'm going to create my own called how not to travel like a basic bitch. But I just want to clarify that being a basic bitch doesn't mean that you're white and that you travel. Mm -hmm. um, I don't want to like isolate anybody from that. It's just that it's predominantly what I saw while I was traveling was people, you know, from anywhere, America, Canada, Europe, traveling to foreign countries and completely disrespecting people in the process. And a lot of it came from privilege and not recognizing your privilege and using privilege as power over other people and especially locals. And so a basic bitch is basically defining like you not being aware of your privilege and then asserting oppression onto other people. So I just want to clarify what a basic bitch was. Um, but also, yeah, like the travel media field is dominated with white voices. And quite frankly, when I started writing, it was in opposition to those voices. And then I realized I was just as basic because <laughs> I have, you know, an American passport. Like I am no different than those people who have no real, like I have nothing invested into the countries that I travel to. And the people who are going to be most affected are those who live in the country. So I decided to stop writing. I mean, I write a little bit for the, for the website still, but I decided to stop writing and completely turn it over to locals to present on their perspectives, interacting with both travel and travelers. It's great that you realize that because we are really privileged, even though we have brown skin and we're minorities and I am also an immigrant, we're really privileged to be here and to be in the United States. And for us to also realize that even though we are not white, we are still very privileged because of what we have in this country and, and you know, all of the first worlds. And you were able to realize that and give back to the people who really need their stories to be told. And you also have a nonprofit. I was looking through your website and you do have a nonprofit. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah. So it's called a nonprofit, but it's not a registered 501c. When we say nonprofit, we don't, we don't take any of the money, not for admin fees, like nothing. Um, but basically, it's a healthy eating project that was set up in Guanajuato, Mexico. The difference that I feel like matters is that they invited me. They knew that I had a PhD. There was a social worker on the ground already working with this community. And they invited me in because they have a high incidence of diabetes in this community. And this community doesn't have any running water. It doesn't have any electricity. It's, it's like unzoned area in Mexico that not even the Mexican government counts. So they invited me and asked like, hey, can you teach us about eating and food? And I was like, sure. So I came And it started off with lessons to kids and there were like coloring sheets and basically, you know, correlating like this purple fruit helps with your digestive system or this red fruit helps with your heart and like very simple food facts like that that are digestible. But since then, we wanted it to be completely sustainable since I I'm not full time living in Mexico. So we have invited a nutrition professor 
who volunteers her time. She brings her students and they teach lessons every single week, I believe now, or maybe it's, it started off every month and now it's like bi-weekly and like, I don't know what it is now, actually. We basically provide the funds to one, transport the professor. She lives 45 minutes away to provide all of the food, utensils, everything that's required to cook for that meal. And it feeds like the 50 people who now attend. And then we also give them groceries for the week so that they can go forward and cook the meals that we taught them how to cook that will be healthy for their bodies. So that's what the nonprofit does. And it's like the purpose was to not have it be reliant on us as foreigners who wanted it to be a sustainable thing. So that's kind of why I've like taken a step back. We do monitor it and we're the ones that like provide the money to make sure that everything is like being used for the project. But other than that, it pretty much goes on its own now. That is really incredible because I used to be a photojournalist and I worked in a lot of developing countries and I was also photographing natives and indigenous people. And I worked with a lot of, you know, nonprofits that is not like yours. Actually, yours is way better. So if anyone wants to donate to your, you know, quote unquote nonprofit, they should definitely go there and go to your website. Because when I used to work with nonprofits, it was mostly from, it was actually all from foreigners. They would live in that place. They would take a lot of the money for themselves and kind of just take photos of the natives and the indigenous people and run with that. And I always felt like they were being used. And that's why I actually stopped being a photographer for them because it was very it was unethical and they were living in huge mansions a few miles away from the people who really needed it, who had dilapidated homes. Meanwhile, they were all living in mansions and were taking a portion of everything that was coming in. Meanwhile, people were giving money thinking it was all going to those families. It wasn't a hundred percent going to them. So yours is actually what everyone needs to give to because it goes there. (laughs) Yeah, it's a hundred (laughs) percent. Yeah, exactly. It was a hundred percent towards them. We don't take anything. Like that was mostly like, a passion project, you know, and, and what, I mean, and I'm not going to say that we're perfect, but we're learning along the way. Also, like one example is we consented all of the adults to take pictures of the children, document the process so people could see where their money was being donated. So I think we got about $2,000 worth of donations and we just wanted to continue updating people. So they didn't think that we were stealing their money. And, Um, and I post, Sorry, no, I ahead. wanted to to ask you if they want to donate to your organization, where can they go? Oh, they can go to www.hownotstravellikeabasicbitch and slash, I believe it's slash healthy eating project Guanajuato. Perfect. But um, there's a tab that says nonprofit. So you can also just click on that. Yeah, that's really great. Yeah, but basically we had consented for the pictures. But since then, I mean, it gets, you know, 70,000 views a month. We didn't realize that it was going to get that much traffic. So when we retold them like, hey, you know, like, you know, a lot of people are looking at this, like, are you sure you want your picture up there? And then they got really shy. (laughs) And they didn't tell us no, but you know, it was uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. So we have since like removed any photos of like direct, I guess, photos of their faces. And it's something that we had to learn along the way, because we had no idea that like this was going to happen. Yeah. 
Well, it's a great thing that people are actually seeing this and giving to giving to the right cause because it's another thing you have to be really educated who you're giving your money to and if it's actually being used in the right way. And you guys have been able to document that. And the, the people who are locals are the ones in charge of what's happening and you're just helping them organize it, which is really the best way to do it. Agree. So now let's look into how you started this whole thing, how you started your brand, and you were finally not drunk and you wanted to (laughs) do this and to actually create something out of this. And like you said, you didn't want to go into academia and you wanted to create a different purpose for yourself. What was the first steps that you took to actually realize the dream that you had to educate people through social media? Yeah, so I just did it as a side project too while I was getting my PhD, but since I graduated about a year ago, and so now I've kind of taken it more full time. And the thing is that a lot of brands and a lot of ad partners don't want to partner with me. Like they think the name is way too raunchy or it's too, who knows, vulgar. Um, and I don't want to change it because I think it's a, it targets a specific audience. It's like a very millennial-based audience. It kind of gives you an introduction to the content you're about to receive, the tone that you're going to receive it in. And so I've struggled because I don't really want to change it. And I don't think that... And I think the content is important enough that like people should kind of look past that. But they don't. <laughs> so what's really cool is that the thing, the whole thing is user-funded for now. And so people like it so much that they contribute monthly or they contribute one time, but there's so many people tuning in that it's funded by its on its own. Yeah. And you're so unique and what you're saying to everybody, and it may not be politically correct and it may not be everyone's taste, but you are very honest with what's happening and your opinions. And a lot of people are not like that. And especially in social media where it's all pretty and it's all nice and everyone just wants to put out whatever everyone wants to hear. You're so different from that. And I think that you are going to be working with a lot of brands as you keep going who see that and will embrace the how not to travel like a basic bitch brand more and you've worked with really great brands so far too yeah I mean I I mean a huge breakthrough was working with REI which is an outdoor company and they literally told me like we want you we want you we want your voice we want however you want to present this content like this is what matters because this your values align with our values So they didn't even tell me to like change anything. They didn't want me to like edit myself and like the campaign. It was a campaign for REI Adventures, like a trip. It ended up being really successful with like 800 people interested. And like, I don't know, I I thought it was, I thought it was successful. They were really happy with the product. So, I mean, honestly, like when you let people show up, how they show up and like, whether it's politically correct, whether it's not, whether it's what you want to hear, whether it challenges the status quo or people like people will sign like that's what causes people to trust you like that's causes engagement that causes loyalty when you just are genuinely authentically yourself 
And some brands do value that. And honestly, I realize that those are the only brands I want to partner with. If you have to change yourself for a brand, then that means it's not going to be the right one for you. And I'm sure you're not going to feel good about doing that, of changing who you are and your voice just for a few dollars here and there. Because later on, if you stay true to yourself, you're most likely going to be earning more money because your audience is going to keep trusting you in that sense. Yeah, for sure. Have you ever had to do that? Have you ever like been faced with that? No, because actually with me, I usually pitch to the brands that I really want to work with that really aligns with my brand and myself. And I have mm-hmm. turned down some brands that it just didn't make sense or they wanted something from me that I didn't want to to give. So that's really, you know, I think that's really important to really acknowledge in this industry is that I know it's really hard to turn down something, especially if you're brand new, because you want to start creating income. But in the long run, if you keep doing that, it's not going to be good for you and your audience is going to stop trusting you because if you're just putting out branded content that doesn't align with who you are, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, for sure. That's interesting. I'm glad that no one, (laughs) I'm glad that you also stick, stick with your values and morals. Honestly, I feel like it strengthens your brand. Like for every no is like a stronger yes. Yeah, absolutely. And honestly, I have gotten so many no's from even the brands that I really want to work with. And you also get to yeah. say no, which which feels good, you know? <laughs> yeah, totally. It's like yeah. gives you some control, which like I feel like a lot of us don't have control over a yeah. lot of things. So and I know it's, it's hard. Good. A lot of people are going to listen to this and be like, well, it's really hard when you're, not, when you're not making money and you have to turn it down. But guess what? Later on, once you, once you keep your control, control, like they will really respect you and want to work with you even more because you're not just going to lay down and do everything um, that they want. Not to say that you're, you know, an a-hole about it, but be respectful when you do it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And this, this is also a good point in that, like, this is what gives like white basic influencers that aren't challenging any well, they don't really need to challenge anything because their existence mm-hmm. is already accepted. But like people like you and I, there are, you know, we are yeah. challenging the norm. And so it is difficult for us. And like those other influencers don't have to deal with that, you know, violence. So it's like we already are starting off challenging just by existing and being alive. And then like to also put out content that continuously challenges the norm. It just gives like white basic influencers yeah. a an edge and they, and it gives them more money. It gives them more opportunities and more brand partnerships, like basic sales, but it doesn't really sell when it yeah, comes to meaningful things. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just a huge discrepancy and it's something that we have to constantly fight against. And also the fact that there is so many minorities out there who need a really fresh voice, someone that they could look to that that is not the basic traveler and someone who looks kind of like them, who understands where they're coming from. And if you just stay true to yourself, it's going to take you a lot further when you do that. Yeah, for sure. And like, we have so much money. Like I looked at a a report the other day and like Asian, so I'm Asian, I identify as Asian and $220 billion from Asian dollars are going into the travel industry. Like, I I mean, same with like the black travel movement. I mean, there's just so much money to be had with POC dollars. So it's like, 
why are we not getting paid? Why are we not being represented? Why aren't we getting paid for our voices and our representation? It's just like, yeah, it's also really interesting. But I have to say, too, a lot of Asians do like to see white people. So that's it's also our problem because that's what we like to see. I'm I'm from the Philippines and I immigrated from there. And a lot of the things that they show on television from the Philippines, every time there's a white person Mm -hmm. on film, they're always celebrating it because they want to look like them. They want to be friends with them. They want to watch things that are with Mm -hmm. Americans and Europeans and white people. So that's also our fault as agents. So we need to start supporting our own people. Yes. yes. <laughs> exactly. And it's I think that's so important that you say that like it's our responsibility as Asians to call out other Asians for that. And I don't I want to say that it's not yeah. just the Asian community. There's colorism in the black community, there's colorism in that Latina community. I mean, if you turn on any telenovela, it's only light-skinned actresses and actors. So, it's the same thing in every community and colorism affects everybody. So, it's like such a important thing for us to call it out. Like, you know, just because like you glorify whiteness doesn't mean yeah. like we have to stop that. Like that's what perpetrates the cycle of like only white people getting hired for things. Absolutely. And it's so crazy that there's, I was talking to a few friends about this. There's soap in Asia that makes you like bleach your skin. So you're lighter and that is pretty crazy that that happens. And every time you only want to be the lightest that you can be because it shows that you're wealthy, that, you know, you're not working in the fields. And that's also what you want to see in entertainment yeah. and in social media. So if we keep going the way we're going and just, you know, being proud of who we are and not because of how dark or how light we are, I think it's you know, it's, it's all, yeah, it's with everybody. Sure. It's not just with black people. It's, you know, Asian people, it's Hispanic people. It's pretty crazy mm-hmm. actually <laughs> that we do this yeah. to ourselves, guys. It's yeah, not it's, other white people. It's actually us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's both actually, but yeah, like totally, like we can only control yeah. what, how we perceive ourselves. So we have to change For it. Sure. It starts with us also. And when it comes to colorism, uh, another thing that I'm sick of seeing in the Asian community, well, I'm East Asian, so I'm half Korean, but I grew up in Hawaii. I never had seen like whitening cream until I visited <laughs> Thailand. I was like, what is this? Like, who would ever want to do this? Like, that's just not a part of my, like, I didn't just never grew up that way. Like being tan and brown and beautiful yeah. is like always prized for living in Hawaii. And then, you know, when I, when I traveled to Thailand, I was like, this is like, honestly, like, so weird. And like, I realized that actually Korea is like one of the number one, like skin whitening producing places. And they have like all this like cosmetic care. So I was like, huh, I didn't even know that. I guess I just want to say that one, I, I'm tired of East Asia only being Asia. Mm-hmm. Like when we think of Asian, it's always mm-hmm. like Chinese, Japanese, Korean. And like, that is not Asian. Like that is one very, very small part of being Asian. I mean, we completely leave out Central Asians, the Middle East, South Asia, Southeast Asia, you leave out the Philippines. And like, those are all because they're darker skinned. And like, for me, I feel like sometimes I'm light skinned. So I get chosen, you know, over like an Indian influencer, but like behind the scenes, I'm always advocating like, yes, I'm, I, I get my foot in the door and it's just for like, to let everybody in after me, you know? 
And so I'm like, you know, did you know that there's this Indian influencer? Did you know that there's this Southeast Asian influencer? And like companies just don't think about it. They like check an Asian box and they're like, (laughs) okay, cool. We got like an Asian girl on there. I'm like, no, like I'm tired of like it just being East Asian. Like you need to make space for all of us. And Asia is like such a large landmass and like the most population. I mean, there's just so much to choose from and so much diversity. So it's so true. It's like they, they, you get a token black person you get a token latin person and then you get a token asian person and you put them together you should be good and that's the brand we should just have we should talk to a brand a big one and just have all different types of asian people from all spectrums (laughs) i'd be like there's a lot of different Mm -hmm. asian people from different countries it's a huge continent so there's a lot of us it's it's big yeah (laughs) Totally. Yeah. You know what? There is no Asian travel movement. Like I look at the black travel movement. I'm like, man, y'all are like really out there. And uh, there's like no Asian brand. Yeah. There's one, I think. We should start Asian. that, Kona. We should um, definitely but... do it. 